All right. Good morning, everybody. Nikki Burnett here, Taste Life Nutrition Radio and Podcast, streaming live on KUHSDenver.com. Um, where apologies for being a little bit late. Sometimes we have little technical difficulties, but that's part of being life and part of what makes life exciting, right? Um, today we have Dr. Brian McAlary. Um, one of the one of the fun things, and Dr. McAlary, I said this in my promo video a little while ago was it's so fun and so interesting when life throws you these little fun curveballs and the people you meet end up being really big people in your life. And I'm really excited to have Dr. McAlary on. And thanks for being here, Dr. McAlary. Thank you, and <laughs> happy leap day. Yeah, happy leap day. Up on two, okay. One, up, that way, up, okay. Yep, other way. Bottom two. Bottom two, okay. Okay. <laughs> so we have Henry, who is our, uh, who owns all of the things technology here uh, in the station. And there, there's always something that has to be tweaked because he's the one that back there who can, who can hear and listen to everything. So anyway, um, so here we go. Thanks for being here. I know that, uh, yeah, happy, I can't believe it's been, that this is leap year this year. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of exciting. I wonder who, who has birthdays today. Happy birthday to those who have birthdays today. You're very, still very young. Um, all right, so as- Does that mean they only gain one year for every four years? That's that's my understanding. Because if there's no 29, <laughs> you shouldn't have to add a year to your life. It's true, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so as always, we start the show with gratitude. Gratitude can change the world. I fully believe that, and I start my days with gratitude. I end my days with gratitude and, and some prayer. And so, Dr. McAlary, what are you grateful for today? Being here. Yeah, me you too. Know, uh, not only shouldn't you take every day for prayer, but somewhere along the line, you reach a tender year where you say, I'm not going to do a long-term planning anymore. <laughs> and and yeah. I've reached that point. <laughs> well, we should, we should live each day like it's our last, right? No matter what age we are. <laughs> it's always prudent. But when you're young, just don't think that way. <laughs> that's, that's, it's very true. Very true. All right. Very good. So... Um, I think we're going to start off kind of how we typically do, learn a little bit about Dr. McAlary, you know, what it is that he does and why he's here. But um, this is a really fun show, I think, for both of us, because there are things that, that you know, since, since the time that we met, um, which again was I, it's still a little bit shocking to me, it was kind of fun, but um, we've, we've, we've made these, these fun plans. And I think these plans that we want to share, we want to start to share with everybody. So this is a, this is a, a, a fun show for me, but let's start with you. Um, how you, you know, obviously you're a physician. Let's talk about what kind of physician you are, but what brought you to where you are? And then, I don't know, maybe why you reached out to me. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, basically, you know, in a career, there is some planning that actually transpires, and then there's events that happen that were non-foreseeable, mm -hmm. and uh, they lead you down a path that you hadn't planned on. Yep. Um, it reminds 
wife's favorite bumper sticker, um, which when she saw it made her laugh. And she came home and said, I just saw this bumper sticker that reads, if you want to make God smile, tell him your plans. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Yeah, so true. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of how I got to where I am. Um, and I am in the phase of my career where I have, since 2017, decided to get a little bit independent and ornery um, and started using it, working in a traditional healthcare field. Um, started working uh, in locum tenens, which, as some of you might know, is basically uh, a Latin phrase for plugging in where people need it. For example, tomorrow I'm going to be in an operating room all day, and that came about with a phone call less than two weeks ago saying, oops, um, we don't have enough people, can you help us? Um, and fortunately I was able to, and it's delightful because when you walk into that situation, you're always, they're always happy to see you. Um, because otherwise there would be patients who wouldn't get cared for, and nobody wants that, obviously. Right. So uh, I've done that. The other thing I've done is increase the amount of um, learning and teaching. And I've done that because uh, this crazy virtual world that we found ourselves in, at least to people in my generation, um, has largely replaced the go to a location and give a presentation mode, mm -hmm. which I had been doing for the previous 30 years. Um, and I mostly enjoyed it, although the travel was sometimes was a bummer. Um, and But the fact is that teaching um, does have a new opportunity forced upon us, if you will, by a pandemic. Um, and Nikki and I are learning how to best collaborate with each other in this new world. Um, Nikki came to my uh, radar by a common friend um, who knows both of us and has been a business associate of mine for a bunch of years. Um, but neither Nikki knew I existed and I didn't know she existed. And so this lady became a good yenta in the Yiddish word, matchmaker, like and it. got us together. And the more we've worked together, the more we realize the common purpose that we have. Um, and not the least of which is the realm of integrated healthcare. Um, a much underappreciated and underutilized area. And one of the things that she and I have done is to start collaborating on courses um, that are predominantly directed to the healthcare world, but not exclusively. Um, we have finished uh, a course on obesity, and uh, much to my shame, I had never even thought about the concept of epigenetics, heard the term maybe once or twice, but paid no attention to it. Nikki, on the other hand, has pounced on that concept and <laughs> learned a great deal about it and got me fired up. So on my desk, um, right in front of me in my home office where I'm speaking from today, um, the, uh, is the uh, first rough draft of the mind brain for that epigenetics. And hopefully I'll be getting that out to Nikki for her able edition and editing. And that'll be our second project. We don't know what a third project. Um, but I, I just thought of something in the last 30 minutes, Nikki, and okay. obviously not to put you on the spot, but yeah, um, I can take it. picking the right drug. Oh. Um, yeah, as you may well appreciate, um, most drugs come as families of drugs. And you would think, you know, that if the chemistry is that similar that they produce a desired result, no matter which drug you pick, 
that you could kind of toss a coin or see the pharmacy that the patient uses, whether they happen to stop that drug or whether you have to go to a, you know, a cousin. But the fact is, um, when I first entered the field, uh, I was confused by the fact that the right drug didn't always produce the right results. And I'm not talking about allergies. I'm just saying not doing what you wanted it to do. And um, so when I went to my mentors, they said, well, give us something else. You know, stop bothering me. Um, and I never really got an answer to why that was. So I think we're one step closer to understanding it. And now we also have available genetic screening. Mm -hmm. So uh, patient's blood can go somewhere, you know, a magic place, and they come back with a report that says, try drug number three. Mm -hmm. uh, it should be the best. Yeah. Um, so I am beyond that level. My ignorance is limitless. So I thought that, you know, it might be a way to self-educate and hopefully pass on some insight to other people. But give us some thought, and because uh, yeah. I'm open. Yeah. Uh, I, I do the homework uh, through the medical literature, whereas you do the homework through most of the non-medical literature, and that's why we make a great team. Yeah. So that, that's who I am and what I'm doing. Oh, I also do forensic consulting, by the way, for um, the families and their attorneys who have adverse health outcomes, which sadly happens, just like not all cars get driven their lifespan without an accident. Same is true with healthcare. Um, and I just got back from Indiana where I was had the um, unpleasant experience of being in the witness stand for a day, uh, trying to answer questions from attorneys at the same time, explain to folks that don't practice medicine um, what the heck happened. So that's uh, another facet of what I've been doing. Um, but the most important job I have is being a parent of three cats uh, who came to us through an adoption program. Didn't know there was such a thing. <laughs> and uh, they are now totally in charge of the house. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you happen to hear a crashing sound in the background, don't call 911. <laughs> it's just one of my cats. That's what they do. Uh, something that we have in common. Three cats, I have three dogs, and uh, yeah, well, we well, have crashing. Let's not put them together. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> but we do have periodic crashing uh, throughout the house, but that's, that's what, you know, keeps life exciting. Um, <laughs> so this is so, it, this is really fun because, you know, a little bit from my perspective, um, our mutual friend who, who introduced me to Dr. McAlary, um, had asked me to create a continuing medical education course. Um, I am not a medical provider, and I just went, okay, sure. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what I'm going to do, but okay. And so she specifically wanted one on ob obesity, and I just thought, well, okay, here we go. <laughs> We're going to jump in and do it. And that's what we did. Uh, that's what I did, and it was a really cool experience to to learn how to do it, the ins and the outs of it. You know, I do my own, um, and I'm required to do continuing uh, continuing education. Of course, not medical education, but uh, this was this was a uh, an experience and one that I will do again. But it is also what, uh, as Dr. McAlary reviewed it, what had him reach out to me, which I was. I'm very um, humbled by, which is, it's really just a really fun thing that has come 
because of all of this. And I'll do another one, and I think, Dr. McAlary, you've done a couple of uh, the continuing medical education courses as well. Um, yeah, so what this means then is it went from, from okay, we have, we have things that we both want to talk about, uh, and bringing, bringing to the forefront in medicine as well as in nutrition and in healthcare period this idea which is not a new idea right there's integrative medicine there's integrative nutrition there's functional medicine functional nutrition lifestyle medicine you know the 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 the, the buzzwords can go on and on and on but really really trying to help practitioners of all kinds be aware of the things that you can that they can look out for when it comes to the health of their patients and or clients when when the drugs aren't working and maybe we don't do drugs first right drugs have a place certainly um, but you know do we do drugs first do we do lifestyle first right in my mind when it's there are, there are situations where one has to be first and there are situations where the other has to be first. And that, of course, is in the hands of the practitioner. But my hope is that as we, as we move through this process, we start to think more about what are the changes that patients can do in their life that can increase their quality of life and hopefully keep them off meds. Uh, for the for the long term, I think it's important. And going back to what you said about, you know, which drugs are which, and understanding our genetic makeup and our epigenome, you know, we can look. These are these are are, are variants that allow us to understand, or or give us give at least give us some direction on the drugs that are best for for a body because epigenetically and genetically we're all different and so I wonder on that if you know if if we're gonna do and so now we're just sort of brainstorming on live air but I think that's fine but we can include in this epigenetic this next epigenetic course the drug piece of it because it is important to understand and I do I do epigenetic testing on my clients periodically when when they want to do it um, but we can do pharmaco pharmacogenetic testing. Am I saying that right? Pharmacogenetic testing? Yeah, I guess yeah. that's the reason it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that could be part of the next, because I think it's important to understand that food, people don't react to food similarly. They don't react to trauma similar, similarly. They don't react to drugs similarly because we're all so different. We're different in the way that we take in information. We're different in the way that we, we, we visualize the world. Everything matters. And that's my entire goal is taking as much as we can when the situation is right into account and then guiding our patients and our clients through the process of whatever it is that their goal is. And so I'm getting a little long-winded here, Dr. McLean. Um, anyway, anything you have to add to that, I, I would love to hear your thoughts, you know, on that, on, you know, on, you know, us bridging this gap, you know, there are others doing this as well, but uh, what are your thoughts? Pretty much in sync with what you've just said, um, and let me give you insight from the um, physician's point of view of how that plays out. 
Let's say, for example, a patient comes in with an acute health care problem like pneumonia or whatever, or a kidney stone. The issue of when to use medication in those situations is pretty much a no-brainer, whether it's pain control or antibiotics or whatnot. They're going to need those to help their body, which ultimately does the job of healing them, not the medication. Medication should be seen as a nudge towards getting the body to win the battle over the problem that it has, not as the cure, if you will. I remember early in my training of anesthesia having a senior surgeon who was working with a surgical resident, and he said, what's the most important part of this operation? And the resident thought for a while and gave a pretty reasonable answer, but he said, no, it's the fact that we can do it without the patient dying because the patient's body heals themselves after the surgical insult. And I said, hmm, it was a perspective view that I hadn't thought of. And I was willing to bet you, although I hadn't been in a medical school teaching in that context, I have worked with medical students who have come and partnered with me in a pain practice setting. And I used that excuse to just check on what's new in medical schools and what are you learning differently from what I did 226 years ago. And they say, you know, and they tell me things, but they're still not getting what I would call a holistic insight to medicine. They're still not getting the concept of when to collaborate and when to use medications. And since most of the patients in primary care have chronic illness, fortunately not all have acute illnesses unless there's an influenza outbreak or something of that nature, or some unknown virus whipping through the schools. Otherwise, it's chronic illness. And I'll bet you that most medical schools are still not teaching, let's look at all the tools in the woodshed and let's try the ones that have nothing to do with medication first. Let's look at those lifestyle factors. Let's look at the mindset that people have towards themselves, their self-esteem, whether they have a mood disorder that has got them in a funk or so anxious they can't function well, much less put together a plan that has multifactorial components to it. And therefore, of course, they do. They make New Year's resolution type of plans that have pie in the sky, almost too good to be true expectations, which don't work. And then they go back to their non-constructive lifestyle factors. We see that pattern all the time. So I couldn't agree more with you, but I just wanted to give you that insight to let you know that it's not as easy as it sounds to put the patient in an empowered situation. They more often than not think of themselves as victims of circumstances and not just a puppet in the workplace, for example, but maybe in a destructive relationship that is influencing their physical health as well as their mental health, affecting their nutrition. All of these things play together. And if they're not looked at because people in healthcare aren't trained to think that way, then it's a problem. 
I have the privilege of working with an independent nurse practitioner and two other nurse practitioners who are technically on the books as supervising collaborative physicians. And I'm pleased to see that that community is showing, I think, some really good insight into the need for integrative health care. It seems to be a concept that they kind of grew up with through the nursing lineage that I don't see as often applicable in health care, particularly when the corporate form of health care, which is taking over the country, assigns a minimum number of patients that you have to see today. They can even assign a time limit, like you get 15 minutes per patient. And I dare anybody, even if they're motivated to be involved in it, to possibly do that patient justice or themselves. So we have an economic and mechanical type of health care process that is not helping us do the right job. So when I run across someone like you and see if we can, through the educational branch of the process, make a difference, then needless to say, I was pretty excited. Yeah, me too. You know, it's this chicken or the egg concept. You know, when you're talking about anxiety and or depression and then, you know, chronic health or chronic conditions. And there's no way in the world that anybody can spend 15 minutes with someone and start to unravel a lifetime of what has potentially been the contributing factor to what they're dealing with today. Or factors, right? Yeah. And so it is frustrating that the power has been taken away from the patient slash client because, well, they feel like the power has been taken away because they're struggling. They're not getting the time that they need and the time that they deserve. And they're then often told, well, here, let's just give you an antidepressant, which is not, rarely is that actually the answer because, you know, so many things, you know, the inflammatory process, nutrient deficiencies, the list goes on that can create the situation of anxiety, depression, mental and emotional issues, let alone physical issues. And so to, I mean, that's so much why I do what I do because, you know, my first session with my clients is at least two hours. Sometimes it's more. But I do that so intentionally because I am working to unravel what has been going on from prior to the day of birth until today when they're coming to see me because that's my goal. I mean, I, I see myself as a health detective. Everybody has heard me say that before, but that's what I want and that's what I love to do is let's start to unravel this a little bit, even if we don't have all of the answers because rarely do we have all of the answers, but we can start to unravel it, dig, you know, of course by digging, we're running labs. We're, you know, as, as you would at, at your medical clinic and some are similar and some are different, but you know, we want to understand as deep as we possibly can what's going on and we need that time. And so I think that that starts to bring the power back to that patient or that client when they start to understand what, the why behind what they're feeling and what they're experiencing. Yeah, they, they learn through that approach that they have a vote. Mm-hmm. 
and what yeah. happens to them. Yeah. And and they have now somebody that is communicating to them that they're not the only person that gives a darn about them because those 15-minute appointments uh, don't exactly get that message across mm -hmm. no matter how well-meaning the provider is. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. when their hands are tied, I mean, it, it, that's the frustrating thing is their hands are tied. If you are in conventional medical care outside of, you know, concierge and, and those that are coming up now, which I think are great, but, you know, when your hands are, are tied and you don't have any choice, you, that's what you have to do. And it, it is, it's, it's frustrating. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and the employment um, experience uh, requires it. Yeah. If you are um, working in a clinic, in a um, either a hospital or a freestanding facility, um, the administration is there with their magical bean-counting tablet, mm -hmm. uh, and they're looking at how many folks come through the door uh, and how many people are seen by each provider, um, and um, the, the pressure is very real. Yeah. Um, I've also had the privilege of working in the naval health system before going into the civilian world, and um, there, I just grew into the mindset and culture that whatever it took for any given patient, that was the case. If they wore a uniform or if their family was related to them because of their service, um, then whatever it took. Mm -hmm. And no one thought twice of it. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it was the dollar amount or the time amount or the caring amount, that was just the case. Um, so it was very difficult for me to transition into a civilian world where that priority has been eroded steadily. Yeah. Uh, over the last 30 years, I have seen the transition. And it has made me ask the question, as many healthcare planners at the national level have asked, should we be a nation of single party payers? And without getting into the politics of that, mm -hmm. the virtue is, do we model ourselves after examples that are tested for years in the rest of the world whether it be the Canadian system to our north or several systems in Europe, including Sweden and those countries. And um, the fact is that they've got the data and there are people who have studied that. Um, and they have found that the cost of healthcare is typically less in that system where the counterintelligent thought would be that it would cost more because you're giving it away, so to speak. Um, and um, then the other thing would be, you know, is there any evidence um, that there's any quality difference? And being a guy who happens to be board certified in healthcare quality management, I can uh, appreciate that literature and recognize that the United States doesn't deserve a deep bow for the quality of healthcare, for example, prenatal care. Our numbers are not as good as most of Europe, for example. Um, and yet it's just as expensive, if not more so. Mm -hmm. So um, I think I think that some of our healthcare inadequacies and the lack of uh, integrative healthcare are in part driven by the payer situation. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I, I will stand up, not stand up, I will say that I, I think that we do a lot of good here in the United States with our R&D and, and with our medical care, but it is problematic when the, the, those who are determining care is essentially the insurance company 
Which also why is why I think that there are there are those who are leading that, right? You know, I have actually a meeting today with a concierge medical doctor, and he wants to be able to spend the time that he wants to be able to spend with his patients without being, you know, without the hand his hands being tied behind his back, uh, and you know can't do anything. And and so it's not. You know, I'm excited to talk to him about all of the details because I haven't really been able to yet. But I know it's not, it's not this, you know, super high end kind of thing that only the elite can afford. He's extremely reasonable for what he does, and gives good care and wants to be able to spend the time and be able to give a good t- good care to his to his patients. And I think that that's really important. And and my hope is that. As, as clinicians start to get tired of not being able to give the care that they thought that they were going to be able to give, you know, coming out of medical school, that we start to see a trend where, you know, they take control of their, their lives and, 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 you know, are able to give more and better care to, to uh, patients. Now, I want to say that because I don't want to come off sounding like that I'm, you know, beating down <laughs> doctors at all um, because I think it's very important, and especially in, in terms of acute care, we have to have the medical care that we have because acute care is so important and we're so good at it. Uh, but, and I think you said this a little while ago, that, you know, there is a little bit left to be said when it comes to chronic care because so often it's okay well here is your drug I don't know what else to do to help you with your symptoms which is why you know root cause medicine has come into play let's understand the lifestyle factors and all the things that go into what has potentially created this situation including and I say this a lot but I think it's so important to understand that traumatic events in our history can 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 manifest as physical symptoms and we got to we got to we got to keep that in perspective and we got to take that into into account when we're working with these these chronically ill patients and clients you know one of the thoughts that i've had there may be models out there that i just don't know of that uh, i've already had the answers but um is that the um, role of the physician um should be probably more in the medication side of things and not so much the major contributor to the holistic approach Mm -hmm. Um, and I've kind of toyed with a model that would have a medically trained let's say nursing background person but who is really functioning as a social worker Mm -hmm. Um, somebody who literally has the capacity to go into that person's house obviously with their approval and see things with an objective eye that the person living in that environment doesn't even realize are um, working against them. Mm-hmm. Taking a look at the pantry and seeing, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's 80% junk food in there would be just one specific example that you can't tell from seeing someone in your office. Yeah. Um, to see whether or not, I know that in one case, um, a home health worker went in and said, I know why you're having so much problems with your asthma because you've got about 10 animals in here and I'm starting to get chubbed up and my nose just being here. Uh, 
and it was a matter of systematically finding the animal's home and basically scrub cleaning the house, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and the requirement for uh, bronchodilators, I think, dramatically lessened. So um, it's that kind of total comprehension of job, home, uh, significant relationships, yeah. um, you know, all of which uh, mm -hmm. can directly impact on both physical and mental health care. And I think the other thing that is avoided because it's sort of taught as non-ethical is um, healthcare people are very uncomfortable talking about any spiritual dimension mm -hmm. that may be relevant to the patient. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, that door shouldn't be open unless the person opening the door is comfortable with that. Um, but I can promise you that is not taught in the healthcare system. And yet it can be a very important part of someone dealing with severe illness and motivating their recovery. Totally. Um, everybody knows that at mm -hmm. one level, mm -hmm. but it's like um, a taboo to even bring it up as a possible relevance to the patient. I don't understand that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I guess I do because we're in a we're in a place where you know, um, I don't know. We're just in a very interesting place. But I, I think that that it's it's important to to bring up, and not everybody is going to, uh, not all patients are going to be, you know, excited about it because not every, not everybody is a believer in whatever it is that they believe. But I'll tell you, for for me personally. It's a huge part of, of who I am and how I work with my clients. Now, it doesn't mean I'm telling them, you know, I'm reading Bible scripture to them. <laughs> but, you know, in my intake and as we're moving through the process, especially when we are dealing with difficult situations, which happens, right? It happens a lot. You know, I ask them, do you pray? Do you meditate? Do you take time to sit still? Do you do these things? And... Um, you know, I get all kinds of different answers, and that's totally fine. But putting that in, at the very least, just taking that time to be still and to turn off that constant sympathetic fight-or-flight place that we're all in all the time can make such a, a, a critical impact on their health. And then, then go beyond that to true meditation, you know, prayer, Bible study, whatever it is that you want to do, uh, it really can, can, can increase chances for them reaching their goals. And I think it's really important. So, yeah, I think that it should be part of, to whatever extent people are comfortable, uh, part of a discussion because sometimes that's what a patient needs, is to, needs to hear. Now, it's, it's interesting to me if you look at, um, and because I've been working in different locations, um, more so than when I was semi-permanent locations, I became aware of the differences in uh, whether it be electronic or still in some cases paper-based documentation. But there's usually a format that each place has for doing the history and physical part of the process, which is time-tested. Yeah. But it isn't standardized in any sense, except mm -hmm. in the broad sense that there are approaches like the SOAP approach where the, yeah. you document the subject and the object of the assessment and plan 
And in that midst of that is something called social history. And almost always that social history does talk about important healthcare matters such as tobacco abuse or excessive alcohol consumption, those kind of things. They tend to go there even though they tend to avoid that implication. Or one of my favorite entries um, is not on file. Well, it's not on file because you didn't ask them. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, and but almost never is religious preference on file, mm -hmm. and nor is the question asked during your stay with us or as part of even home visit. Would you like some form of in the military chaplain? Because it made it non-denominational. Yeah, the chap yeah. chaplain could be a rabbi, mm -hmm. but he would still go and work with troubled people, no matter what their religious labels were. They were non-denominational, God-based um, healthcare people at the mental and spiritual level. But you never see that on the medical record, and yet that can be a huge factor in the success of the total picture of integrative health. Yeah. Uh, and it shouldn't be left out of the shouldn't be left out of the equation. Now, now, do I think that you know any of us have the right to, in essence, preach to people? No, unless we're in a house of worship in that role and they come into that house of worship or they call us in some other form. Mm -hmm. But you don't need to preach to them just to get them realizing that that may be a tool that they want to mm -hmm. utilize. Agreed. Yeah, totally agreed. Yeah. I have a client who, um, yeah, maybe maybe one of the sickest clients I've had and uh, and, and and I'm happy to say, you know, I have a, a meeting with her this afternoon, but I she got a text from her yesterday. She's like, I am able to eat more food. I'm like, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. these huge things. Yeah. But in our early conversations, it what I, I asked her, I said, you know, just just what I said. I said, I, this is all really hard. Do you pray? Do you take time for yourself? And and one of the things that she she said to me is how she appreciated that I wasn't afraid to speak about faith. Um, and I, I, I don't mm -hmm. wanna be afraid to speak about faith, it's part of my faith, to not be afraid to speak about faith. But, um, but it's, it's interesting because it has led to uh, some really interesting conversations, which might not have happened had, had I not really simply said, do you pray, right? This could be helpful for you. Mm -hmm. So. Um, so yeah, I think it, it it's important, and you feel out, you feel out the situation. Yeah, and people don't want to be preached at about anything, really. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, but I do think it's an important, uh, it's a really important component. Um, I'm curious, as we are, uh, hard to believe. Uh, we've got about ten minutes left. I think I always have to put my glasses on. Oh no, we got close to fifteen minutes left, but. Your, I'm curious about your idea, or, or, or maybe not even your ideas, your hopes for the future of healthcare, the future of, you know, how, how can we integrate it? How do we integrate it? Uh, what are you hoping for, you know, for moving forward? You know, I think that the hope word would be the better one because, um, first of all, I do not have a any more ability to visualize the future than anyone else. Um, but 
I think defining hopes is not a bad thing because I think it can ultimately lead to some major changes. For example, I would hope that nobody has to sleep under a bridge in the middle of winter. And within that population, you see that when they do come in for help through the emergency room, some emergency vehicle is called by some bystander and picks them up and takes them to an emergency room. And not only can they not pay for their health care and therefore reduce an economic burden for the facility, but they're usually in desperate need of health care because it has been postponed and ignored. And by the time they get health care, they're pretty much in the vernacular train wreck. And in one visit in the emergency room, the best you can do is sort of define maybe what's wrong, but you don't even have a chance to start doing anything about it. Nor can you refer this person to any source. I would like to see a broader social network of people who are trained to recognize the need for health care, encourage people in everything from their basic personal hygiene all the way up to getting regular medical care. And I'd like to see a system that would be able to provide it without it being financially punitive to the individuals doing that care. I mean, I know people who travel to third world countries and donate weeks of their time. Oh, it's a spam risk. Isn't that great? Don't you love that? That is so polite and so nice. So what I was starting to say is that, you know, these people will go to a third world country and work for nothing and do incredible jobs and missionary and non-missionary roles. The doctors without borders kind of folk, you know, for whom I take my hat off. The fact is that we shouldn't need to make it punitive to people who are willing to do that. We should also have a method whereby the business aspect of health care gets reined in. Can't be ignored. I mean, there's a business aspect to everything, including what you and I do. But the fact is, it shouldn't be the tail that wags the dog. So that would be my primary hope for the future of health care. All right. So let's talk about what we're doing. I want to dig into that a little bit. And I know we touched on it early on, but I don't know that I feel like there wasn't a lot of clarity around what we're doing. And I want to just put out there, you know, that our goal in coming together is to hopefully bring this sort of integrated medical lifestyle nutrition approach to, I mean, anybody who will listen. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So I'm hoping that people want to listen. But, you know, creating these courses, whether they are live, whether they are webinars that are accredited continuing medical education courses to help guide those who might have questions about this approach. Yes? Sure. Plus the pragmatic consideration is since the licensed care 
have some continuing educational requirement built into their licensure, yeah. um, if they can find material that qualifies with the state requirements for that category and do it in a context that is convenient for them, that they don't have to travel across the country and spend a lot of money and uh, expose themselves to all kinds of ugly viruses, um, and yet get the quality, uh, and more importantly, get the topics relevant to them, mm -hmm. not just something that happens to be uh, the interest of an academic person who spent 30 years of their life studying the parathyroid gland. Um, you know, there's a place for that, it's just like there's a place for R&D um, in the medical equipment world. Uh, but it doesn't reach out to the to the broader need. So if education can be the doorway mm -hmm. to providing people what they really want to hear, then so be it. Yeah. Um, when I was doing in-face uh, teaching, all of my topics came from the feedback of the previous meeting that was held with that seminar group or whatever. So people were asked, please write in if you want to learn anything more about each other. And one of the uh, CME things that I did when I was in Chicago uh, was based on that. So when you went there, you know that at least one or more people wanted to know more about X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. uh, and therefore, the presentations were responsive to that. So in some cases, I had to learn a whole lot about a topic before I was qualified to give it. Yeah. But in the process, I was learning. So mm -hmm. it wasn't you know, a waste of time. It wasn't painful. Um, and I think that if we can look at the uh, interface between traditional healthcare and nutrition and the whole holistic picture uh, and have folks uh, contact us and let us know what they want to hear. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no reason why you and I can't spend our spare moments in and around the 14 other things we're doing and put together something that we're not ashamed of and is responsive to their needs. So I would like to think that people um, who know of your incredible worthwhile efforts um, would be able to reach out to you and then you can hand me homework assignments from time to time for me to contribute. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's great. And so that would be, it is, I think, a request for anybody who, who, who uh, is listening, who's watching. Um, we, our entire goal is with this project is to bring bring us together you know in our different approaches but we want it to be relevant and we want people to give us suggestions you know we know what we like you know i'm an epigenetic nerd i'm not an expert at it but i'm super nerdy about it and we'll probably be a part of every part of every presentation <laughs> because it's relevant to pretty much everything that we do i mean that's how we have our power in our own health is by epigenetics but um, you know, what else is there that, that people want to know and want to hear about? And so, I, you know, I, I say this pretty much at the end of every show, I'm here to be a resource. My, my goal is to be a resource and, and to give, it a, give whatever it is that anybody needs. So that's, that's my hope. So you reach out to me. Um, we'll also have uh, Dr. McAleary's information. Uh, in all the post-show notes, but he'll give us his information on how he can be reached uh, because you do other consultative services. I guess you already talked about that at the beginning, didn't you? We touched on yeah. it. Um, but, yeah, it, 
if anybody wants to get a hold of me, uh, the best way to do it is through my office because like, for example, tomorrow, uh, you know, I won't even be able to answer my cell phone because I'll be in and out of operating rooms during the day. Um, but, you know, if you were to call uh, tomorrow, you would reach an amazing woman called Sue, and um, she is the uh, person who runs my life and does so at my deep gratitude for doing it. Um, office number 540-317-5569. That's in good old Central Virginia, where I'm talking to you from now. Um, and um, we can set up a time to talk and explore just what you have for interest um, and or for what you may you want to collaborate. It could be at the consulting level. I was approached by a person years ago and just was in no position to even explore it at the time uh, to assist them with setting up a um, science-based, uh, holistic-based, nutrition-founded uh, um, uh, weight loss system which there are now multiple um, available on two people, some of which are solid and some of which are just fly-by-night. Um, but the fact is um, that that was something that, you know, had I been in the position I am now, I would have given further thought to it. Mm -hmm. And I would have obviously dragged Nikki in kicking and screaming um, <laughs> because uh, when it came to the nutritional part of it and the counseling part of it, you know, I couldn't find anyone any better. So um, that's the kind of thing. Um, just kick around ideas, mm -hmm. see what you might want. Um, you might think you want one thing, and I may have to listen to you suggest that really what you're looking for is something else, but whatever, whatever direction it takes. Um, and the initial phone calls, there's no fee for those. If there turns into a big project that drags on for a while, then we'll have to discuss the economics of it. But yeah. at this point, uh, I just want to let you know that it's out there, and I know Nikki would also welcome receiving your calls. Um, she she thrives on being of use to people. Um, so um, let's give her something to do and keep her off the street. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. You know, the, 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 it's, I said this early on, but, you know, doing this course, which was a super surprise for me to, to do it, uh, the, the CME course that I did, which was, interestingly, uh, about management of, well, it's weight management, right? I think it was a functional approach to weight management. But my whole goal with that, as well as with everything that I do with within my own practice, with anybody I collaborate with, with Dr. McAleary, is, is really trying to bring in as much as possible in understanding how holistic it is. And that's what I did with this course was, you know, let's understand, you know, and you, you hit on this a little while ago, but it's, you know, and I talk about it on the show, right? Health is physical, mental, emotional, relational, spiritual, financial. What else is there? There, you know, there's probably others that I miss, but these are sort of the, the pillars of our lifestyle and they're all integrated and we can't just look at one thing because so many things play a role in health and wellness. And so that was, that was my goal with it, and I think it, and I, and I know it will be continue to be my goal in in everything that I do. I just think it's really important, and that's what 
that's what we've done with the uh, obesity CME course that we're planning on doing and then any other course that that we just decide we're gonna do <laughs> we do <laughs> so that's what makes it fun right um, so is there anything else before we before I sort of give my my whole spiel um, that you want to hit on that we haven't hit on no, golly, there's a hundred other things we can talk about, but I really appreciate the opportunity to participate with you and getting out there in front of folks and uh, letting them know uh, there's other people thinking about the things they feel is important as well. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Very cool. Well, of course, this is Taste Life Nutrition Radio and Podcast, streaming live on KUHSDenver.com. You can find me, Taste Life Nutrition anywhere my website the social media all of it is just tastes like nutrition you can go to my website and fill out a free assessment uh it just gives me a little bit of insight into what's going on with you we'll chat about it and see if i can be of use or if maybe somebody i know can be right so again my goal is to be a resource and to help you in whatever your goals are whether that's me or somebody else so um, and then we have Soulful Conception. Uh, Soulful Conception is the sort of the epitome of my love of epigenetics and the, the and what it does in empowering us as individuals, as couples, when we come together and, and the ability that we have to create the health of the future. So we have, we play a huge role in the health of the pregnancy of the baby, of delivery, and for generations. And I just think it's so beautiful, the power that we have. And, and, and my goal is to create the awareness so you know the power that you have, because it's really, really beautiful. Um, so that's what we got. Thanks again, Dr. McAleary. Hang out with me here just a second while I shut everything down. But um, we will be back again next week, 10 a.m. Mountain Time on Thursday. We'll see you then. Bye.